turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 and verse number, we'll begin in verse number 25. Uh, my dad didn't know, doesn't, doesn't know still what I'm preaching on yet. He will in a second. Uh, the go ye kids can go ahead and be dismissed. Yes, go ye kids can be dismissed. But actually the message that I believe the Lord had me to prepare tonight was the title of it is The Price of Discipleship. He didn't know what I was um, preaching on when he was talking about everything has a cost. If I can hang on to my notes. But we're, uh, Lord willing, we're going to look at the price of discipleship tonight. So Luke chapter 14, verse number 25, if we're there, we'll go ahead and read from there to the end of the chapter. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, in children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, All that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise... Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you this evening, Lord, and we just thank you for the opportunity we have to open up Your Word, and I just pray that Your Word would be able to speak tonight and that um, You would give me clarity of thought. I wouldn't say anything I shouldn't say, but I would uh, communicate clearly the message from Your Word and that we could all leave here knowing we heard from You, Lord, and that our lives could be changed because of Your Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you agree with me today that the idea of a total commitment... To anything besides yourself in the world today is becoming a thing almost unheard of. As we look around at our culture today, we see people, we, the idea of a total commitment, the idea of someone being totally committed to something that isn't about them is really becoming almost a thing of the past. I like sports. I use sports illustrations a lot. I follow the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's where I learned, to play, I learned to play basketball when I was at college, and so I follow the Oklahoma City Thunder. Well, if anybody has been following sports news at all, the star of the Oklahoma City Thunder, Kevin Durant, just left the team who he's been with for nine years and went and joined the Warriors, who is the Thunder's arch rivals, because he would, Kevin Durant would rather have a championship then stay committed to his team. I found that quite disheartening, but that's in the world of sports, so it doesn't really matter. 
But the idea of a total commitment, we see players, whatever's best for me. There isn't a commitment, it's whatever's best for me. But not only in sports, we can look at something much more serious, like marriage. How in the world today, the idea of a total commitment to anybody else than yourself is almost become unexistent. It's become a thing of the past. What? Marriage isn't all about me? And the idea of being totally committed to somebody else, just most people don't even think about that. Or the idea of having to give up something so you can serve the Lord, so you can follow the Lord in your life. Rather, people are replacing the idea of giving up something with the Lord is, I am coming to the Lord so He can give me everything I want. That's what people are replacing the idea of a total commitment to God is. God is committed to me. And God is supposed to give me what I want. That's why I come to church. And when we look at the world, so often, other than a commitment to oneself, a total commitment is completely gone. When Jesus was on this earth, He had great crowds following Him. There's, we constantly read, in this passage, we hear about great multitudes following Him. And yet there were only 12 disciples. One of them was Judas. Now, there were 70 disciples that he sent out. There were slightly bigger groups. There was 120 disciples gathered in the upper room. But of the great multitudes, that is such, such a smaller number. So, compared to, comparative almost would seem insignificant of the people who truly followed him. Many came to him asking to follow. We think of the rich, run, rich young ruler. We'll get it out one way or the other. And... But he was not willing to give up his riches. Others were not willing to give up their positions of power or their position. One of the greatest things with the Pharisees was they were unwilling to give up what they considered their nation. They were unwilling to give up what they considered their power so they could serve Jesus Christ. When we reach this text, when we come... To Luke chapter 14, just giving a little bit of background. Jesus has just been in the house of the Pharisees eating. And he's seen them bickering for a higher position. And then he gives them a parable about the the bidding to the feast and how one person says, Well, you know, I have this to do. Or "I I have more important things than come to the king's feast. And Jesus condemns them saying, If you... Um, condemns the Pharisees and said, if you're not going to come, I'm going to get others who are willing to come. And then he leaves the Pharisees' house and goes out, and the great multitudes are there, and they begin to follow him again as he leaves the Pharisees' house. And he turns to them, and he says what would be an extremely shocking statement. And he demands, if you're going to follow me, there has to be a total surrender for those seeking to follow him. We look, in, um, we look in verse number 26, it says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jewish culture was very much around the family. When we look, in order to have the... If you didn't have the proper documentation at the temple with where, with your family lineage, that was so important to the Jewish culture. And Jesus is saying, you've got to hate your father. You've got to hate your mother. 
And pe- some people said, you know, well, this is just your love to Jesus is so much greater than your love to family that it looks like hatred. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, except ye hate your father and mother. Now, obviously, if I hate and despise my father and mother, that goes against just, I just hate and despise them. That goes against other parts of Scripture. So is that what Jesus is truly saying? No, if we read the entire context of what he's saying, he sums it up in verse number 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's saying, hateth his father and his mother and his sisters and his brethren and his wife and his children. He's saying, you... All the ties that are so important to you, all the things that you really care about that are important to you, you have to forsake that. There has to be a total surrender. There can't be, well, I'm holding on to my family. My family, I, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I've got to do this with my family first. My, you know, I've got to maintain my position with my family. No, Jesus is, rather, Jesus is demanding is a hatred or forsaking of any ties that family would have on you. Jesus also demanded a hatred of one's own life. He said, Yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. That's an imperative. It's an it's a, um, article of impossibility. If, what Jesus is saying is, if you do not do this, It is impossible, completely impossible for you to be my disciple. If you do not give up on your own plans, if you do not give up on what you are desiring to do, if you hold back some area of your life, you cannot be my disciple. It was a startling command. It was meant to be shocking. And then Jesus goes on. He doesn't just say that. He says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, he's saying, the surrender must be so complete, it's got to look like capital punishment. To follow Jesus, you must be willing to take up the cross and follow him. Now, many people, when they talk about, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus, I'm just bearing my cross, and they talk about their cross of family, or their cross of this, or um, their situation, or their job. Jesus is not referring to a situation here. He's referring to a lifestyle. He's referring to, you must take up your cross. Paul talked about situations. He referred to that as a thorn in the flesh. Jesus here is saying, you must take up your cross. This isn't, well, I have to follow Jesus and it's so hard. No, it's rather, if you are going to follow Jesus, it must be a total surrender. Something that is so obvious that it is like you are marching down the streets of Jerusalem bearing a cross. Your surrender and your devotion to Jesus Christ. He's saying, if you are going to be my disciple, it must be so complete that is a total death of you. 
But Paul said, I am crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live. So Jesus is not talking about committing suicide here. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Jesus is saying is, if you are going to be my disciple... You have to leave your father and mother. You have to leave your wife and your children. You have to leave your sisters and your brethren. Yeah, and you've got to get rid of you too. And take up your cross and come after me. That means, when it talks about coming after me, it's talking about following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. That means He has made a path and you're going to go on that path with Him. This requirement for a disciple went against the very grain of Jewish culture. Family was very important. Heritage was very important. Preserving your family line, we hear about, you're reading in the Old Testament how important it was to preserve the family line. And all that was important. And then we get to the cross. The cross was was a symbol of Rome. A symbol of the tyranny they were under in that day. It was a symbol of everything they hated. And yet, Jesus is saying, Hating what you loved and picking up what you hated was the demand of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. A regular Jewish person, you would love his family. This family was so important. He would celebrate the Jewish holidays with his family. And Jesus is saying, you've got to hate that. You've got to forsake that. Rome, everything, the symbol of the cross, the symbol of death. Everything he hated about that, you got to pick up that and die to yourself if you're going to be my disciple. Why would Jesus demand so much? Why it almost would seem outlandish to a Jewish person just that sh- initial shocking statement. Why would Jesus say this? Because Jesus was warning those seeking to follow him. The multitude was following him. And Jesus was warning those who were initially showing that I want to follow Jesus. I believe tonight we have a group of people here in services tonight that want to follow Jesus. And Jesus was warning this multitude of the necessity of counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives two illustrations here. Verse number, uh, verse number 28. Let's start there. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it. If you're trying to build something, you need to make sure you have enough resources to finish. This was something very logical. This is something very concrete that would illustrate what Jesus was trying to say. No one's going to start a 60-foot office building in Manhattan without doing some serious paperwork, without doing some serious budgeting, without doing... hey. The city of New York is not interested in someone starting a building in Manhattan and then, oops, I ran out of money. It's just sitting there. That'd be, that would be foolish, would it not? For someone to invest all that money, to someone invest all that much time in preparing something, and when it's finished, or actually when he's finished and the building is not, gee, it becomes a source of mockery. It becomes a source of, yeah, that was that guy's project. Don't hire him. That was that guy's project. Someone who starts 
A tower in that day would have been a very visible, a very prestigious project. It had been something that would have brought fame or renown to whoever built it. It was a, um, a military fortress as well, oftentimes. And he laid the foundation. Jesus is talking about he laid the foundation. He started to build, and then he ran out of money. That would be foolish. That would be foolish to invest so much time and so much money in something that you can't even finish and get any use out of. Then Jesus uses the illustration of a king going to war. Or what king going to make war against another king? Sitteth not down and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. What king is he going to start a war and get halfway? Oops. I didn't realize how strong this guy was. Or, yeah, my guys are big. My guys are tough. We'll do this. Oh, boy. Bad idea. You know what? You know, in the dorms at, at college, my freshman year, we, wrestling was still allowed. So that was a big deal. So I wrestled a little bit. But I was a skinny little kid. I'm still a skinny guy. But I was like 30 pounds lighter my freshman year of college. And I was trying to wrestle. Not a good idea. Well, my senior year, or my last year in grad school, we had this fresh, I was in, a sep, the grad school students had like a separate building where they could stay because they had to do homework at all hours and work, you know, so we had a, our, own, our own dormitory and it was really nice. And we had this one guy in the dorm who would invite everybody, all the guys on campus into the dorm. When I was trying to do homework, it was quite annoying. And we had this one guy, this freshman who came over who was 20, year old, 20 years old with the mind of a 15-year-old. And he decides, well, I'm trying to work on thesis, that he wants to jump on me and try to wrestle me. What he doesn't know is, I'm not a fighter, but the only training I've ever had was from an army trainer. So I know three or four holds that if you try to attack me, I might be able to do something to you. So this guy jumps on my back and falls off. Not smart. Not smart. But the problem was he tried three different times on three different days. And finally, when he was blue in the face from a chokehold, he decided he was going to stop attacking me. But it would, that was kind of, because he didn't realize not only was I a little better fighter than he was, but I was also working on thesis, which had my frustration level about here. So when he attacked me, it kind of all channeled right here. And he wasn't going to win no matter what. But this, what Jesus is saying, it would be very foolish. There was, an, there was another guy at school. His name was Peyton Ray. He had trained as an MMA fighter. And then he was also in the Army Reserves. And so, you know what? I just didn't mess with that guy. Because I'm six foot four. He's about five foot eight. But I don't want to get killed. So I'm not messing with that guy. It would be very foolish for me to try to mess with him. I would end up with a broken arm or something, depending on how bad I tried to annoy him. And Jesus is saying here, he's using an illustration. He says, if a king is going to attack somebody else and he only has half the forces, he better do some major thinking before he does that attack. 
Or maybe you better say, hey, can we just not do this? What do you want so we don't have to fight? Because I don't want to get beat. You know, Jesus gives us two illustrations. Somebody who starts a tower and doesn't count the cost and is not able to finish. That was pretty foolish. Or the king who tries to attack another king with half the forces. And he's not, and he's like, wait a second. Before you make that attack, before you fight that battle, you might want to count the cost. You might want to determine, hey, is this really going to be worth my effort? Is this really, do I have enough to make this happen? And Jesus is using this as an illustration of the necessity of counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because he goes on and says, so likewise... So he's tying, Jesus is tying this all together. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We know that doing your math, making a budget, running the numbers is important in the business world. But is it not more important when you are trying to determine your life's course? Is not making, the, counting the cost, doing the math, checking your heart, So much more important when you're trying to follow Jesus Christ. What is the price of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Why is it so important to count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Jesus gives us a stark warning of the result of not forsaking all to follow him. That's the price of being a disciple is forsaking all. And when you decide, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but I'm going to hang on to something. Jesus gives us a stark warning here in verses 34 and 35. He says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears, let him hear. When Jesus says that, he is saying, hey, listen up to this. This is important. It's like an emphasis, like clapping your hands, like saying, shouting, hey, this is important. He that hath ears, let him hear. Salt that has lost its savor is worthless. In Jesus' day, salt was very valuable. The Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Salt was something, it was main value was as a preservative. They would use it to preserve meats. They didn't have refrigeration back then. They didn't have the many freezers, many of the things we use to preserve food. One of the primary means of preserving it was salt. Salt was very valuable. It had to be mined. They, Roman soldiers were paid in it, like I said. It was considered that much, that, that valuable. But salt that became tainted, salt that was mixed with something else, would begin to lose its savor, its ability to preserve. If it was allowed, if water was allowed or other things, chemicals were allowed in it and there was a reaction there, so the salt lost its brininess or its ability to preserve something, it is worthless. Completely worthless. And a disciple of Jesus Christ that allows his family, his own life, his own desires to taint how he follows Jesus Christ becomes a worthless disciple of Jesus Christ. That what, that's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is warning the multitude 
of the price of being a true disciple because a follower of Jesus that does not count the cost and forsake all is worthless and cannot be a disciple. Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to forsake all, you're not salty salt. You're worthless. You cannot be my disciple. How many times? He said it twice at the beginning. If you do not forsake all, if you do not forsake all, you cannot be my disciple. And he's saying, if you do not follow me, if you do not count the cost and, and surrender all, if you do not count the cost and forsake all, your family, your own life, take up your cross and come after me, you're not counting the cost. You're being just as foolish as someone who doesn't stop and count his money before he begins to build a building. You're being just as foolish as a king who has 10,000 soldiers and says, you know what, I don't even know how many guys he ta- this soldiers this guy has. I'm going. And gets utterly defeated. It is that foolish to seek to follow Jesus Christ without surrendering and forsaking all. The same is true today. If you and I are going to be a true disciple, we must realize we cannot follow Jesus in anything else. We have to follow Jesus alone. Seek to follow Jesus. Because we all have the tendency... We all, so often, this multitude did, we try to follow Jesus without giving up everything else. We'll give up some things, sure. You know, we know that certain sins are wrong. We know that we can't live for the devil on Monday and live for God on Sunday. We know we can't do that. But so often we seek to follow God. We say, we're disciples of Jesus Christ, but... We have this little area over here that we haven't given to the Lord. Simply, you must forsake all to follow Him only. That's what Jesus is trying to get to this multitude. If you're going to follow me, you have to forsake everything else. It doesn't matter if it's your family. It doesn't matter if it's your own life. Rather, in fact, your life needs to, you need to take up the cross And follow after me. You need to give up on your own plans, your own wishes, your own desires. You need to give up on what your family wants of you. You need to give up what you want from your family. The only thing that you can seek and be a disciple of Jesus Christ is God. Jesus is saying you have to forsake all and follow me or you cannot be a disciple. A disciple of Jesus Christ who becomes tainted by what he should have forsaken is a worthless disciple. That's what Jesus said. Salt that is lost to savor. It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. Yet how many times in my own life do I... Yes, Lord, I'll follow... Yes, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but you know what? I have this little thing over here that I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you, Lord, but I'm going to keep doing this over here. If you're, going to be cruci- if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to forsake all to follow Him. So what, in your, what is in your life that you have not hated to follow Jesus? What is in your life that you have not hated to follow Jesus? Does your family hold you back? Is it your job? Is it your own dreams and plans? Marriage? Retirement? Popularity? Self-image? 
whatever, you, you, put, you fill in the blank. What is it that you have not hated to follow Jesus? Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? How many people used to come to church that we can look through the pews in this church and now their lives would resemble unfinished towers? They would resemble a battle that should never have been fought. A lost battle. How many times have you and I started to follow Jesus only to be defeated by a besetting sin because we hadn't forsaken that for the Lord? We hung on to it. A failure to forsake all will leave you unusable in the service of the Lord. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to forsake all to follow me. If you do not forsake all, if you do not give up on your own life, you cannot be my disciples, what Jesus said. Jesus said in another passage, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. If, you're going to, if you and I are going to serve the Lord today, we have to surrender what our plans are, surrender the ties we have to this world, and seek only to follow Jesus Christ. It is only when you surrender and take your cross that you can find the peace and the joy that only God can give. Jesus is giving a strict warning here saying, He that hath ears, let him hear. He's giving a warning here. He's saying, if you do not follow me, if you do not count the cost of being a disciple, you can end up, and you seek to be a disciple, if you seek to follow me, but do not count the cost, if you don't forsake all, you could become as worthless as unsalty salt. But, I, but the joy is, is that the opposite is true. Is that if we seek God, if we surrender all and follow Him, that is when we will become usable in the service of the kingdom. That is when we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That is when we have the blessings that God's Word promised. Is when we forsake all and seek to follow Him only. When we, when we do that and we are true disciples of Jesus Christ, we are willing to pay the price to be a disciple. Suddenly, we, it isn't about us. It isn't our plans. We're not doing that anymore. And God is able to give us what He wants to give us. That is very true and evident in this passage because we know the mercy of God from other... If we compare Scripture and bring it in. God is saying, if you follow Me, there's blessings. But if you seek to follow Me without forsaking all, if you seek to follow Me and mix your own desires, your family, whatever this world has to offer, if you don't stop and count, wait a second, this is going to hold me back from following God. It will taint your service for God and make it unsalty salt. And Jesus is warning us that if we are going to follow Him, you must forsake all. That's the price of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's forsaking all. Jesus gave it all when He came to this earth to die for our sins. 
And we should willingly give it all, if we're saved tonight, we should willingly give it all to follow Him. And when we follow Him, it is the forsaking of family and the forsaking of yourself that will free you to follow the One who has everything that you need. So the question tonight is, are you willing to pay the price to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You can't follow God and hang on to something. You can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ and say, but I need this one thing. Jesus is saying, you have to hate your family. You have to hate your... He's very specific. He's very just emphatic and just hitting you right where it hurts. He says, forsake your father. Forsake your mother. Forsake your wife. Forsake your children. Forsake your brethren and your sister and your own life also and take up your cross and follow me. Whoever doesn't do that cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Rather, they lose their savor. But it is when we follow the Lord, it is when we forsake all, that we truly can be what Jesus intended us to be. So the question is, are you willing to pay the price of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word and we thank you for um, just the clarity of it, Lord. I just pray that um, your word would be free to speak tonight, Lord, and that um, you would be honored and glorified through everything we do tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.